morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Rockcast, powered by Onyx Hunt Maps. We're going to roll through another episode of Tipsy Tuesday here. First off, though, hope everybody had a good Christmas. It is December 28th, so we just got done with Christmas. And, uh, yeah, I think we fared pretty well. We got to Boise about five hours after we, we were supposed to with the crazy winds and some weather moving across the west. We got held up in Denver made it almost all the way back here, had to turn around and go back to Salt Lake and sit on the plane for about an hour and a half, and then we got flown back in here. So we got home at like 2 a.m., but uh, I think we fared better than a lot of people, judging by the customer service line at DIA when we were boarding the plane. It didn't look very good. So hopefully everybody made it home without too many issues. Um, going to roll through another episode Tipsy Tuesday here. Photo contests, there are two photo contests that are still open for entering, I guess, through January 15th. The Whitetail Contest, um, photo contest, and they, these are just photo contests, it's not how big your thing is, it's the coolest picture. And boy, there were some good ones on the elk and the deer and the sheep. Those ones, I think the elk for sure is up for voting the rest of them might be too. Just head over to the forums and check that out. But the top photos <clears throat> for like the elk and the deer, those have been chosen. You can vote on them. But the ones that are still open for entering is the whitetail and the youth contest. And you can do that through January 15th. Win some cool stuff if you win. Uh, latest episodes, me processing part one. Leah hopped on and talked about that. That was supposed to be a whole podcast in itself, but I was about to miss a flight, so we had to cut it into two parts. And it almost ended up being better that way, I think, because we got some good feedback after the part one and some questions, so we can address those in part two. And any other questions you have, we haven't recorded part two yet. We're probably going to do that this week, so shoot me a message if you have any questions that we can attempt to answer. And then another episode we did was a guide life or a guide in outfitters life with Cole Trichel. I hired Cole this year as a guide for my outfit in, in Nebraska. So we guided together a little bit and we just, that episode is kind of a ramble, like end of the year ramble for me, I think mostly, but, uh, just talking about like clients, outfitters, how you should be very, uh, transparent with each other when booking things to consider um, things like that. So again, it's a bit of a ramble, but if you're interested, go check it out. New Rockslide articles, Cryptech Bushcraft Pant review is up and Jane Bales did an article on should you hunt in shorts? That's funny. You should go check it out. Um, all right. On to some, some hot news happening. So over in Colorado, they have had their first wolf kill in over 70 years. So, sounds like up by Walden, there was a cow that a pack of wolves killed. And, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. So, um, CPW, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, confirmed that the wolves had returned. There was a pack of six wolves in January 2020 that were seen um, near an animal carcass in Moffat County. So that was, um, gosh, about a couple years ago now. And it's kind of interesting because the wolf reintroduction 
bill, I guess it was a bill, passed. So they're, I don't remember exactly their goals. I think they wanted like 10 packs of 10 or something like that, or like 100 wolves is what they were, their goal is to bring in. But um, the CCA, which is like the Colorado Cattlemen's Association, um, they said they're using this incident to bring up concerns regarding the reintroduction program, which include the following. Uh, lethal and non-lethal methods, including hazing of wolves for conflict minimization, a guaranteed funding source that allows Colorado Parks and Wildlife to fairly provide the needed tools for prevention and compensation from wolf impacts. Impacts from wolves go beyond livestock death and injury to include more far-reaching impacts on livestock performance, such as pregnancy loss, weight loss, imbalanced range usage, etc., which will 100% happen. Um, especially, I mean, they, uh, they're not used to having a predator like that around. It's the same with the elk and the deer. They're not used to having a predator like that around, and it's going to take them a little while to realize what the hell is going on. Um, but a really interesting, I listened to this on the plane the other day, a, uh, there's a meat eater podcast that I believe is called, I think it's cry wolf, uh, cry wolf, I think is what it's called. And it was a f- quite a few weeks back, but you should scroll through there and listen to it. They had, um, a guy on from Colorado that has been involved in the reintroduction to a certain point. And he explains kind of like where it sits now and what, what he sees in the future and they talk about the fact that the the elk they are going to get pounded probably um but yeah that was an interesting episode i thought it's good to good to look at but i definitely think that i mean obviously the wolves are going to have some kind of an impact and i definitely definitely think especially coming from a ranch and you know that business side of things like you got to figure out a way to to help these ranchers that are like it's they're damn sure going to be affected and like you know when it says the impact you know they go beyond the death and injury um if you're getting run around by wolves and the cattle are stressed like yeah you're gonna freaking abort some calves and and uh yeah it's gonna make a difference so kind of glad to see that they're kind of on top of that trying to figure something out all right, down now to Arizona. A while back, they passed a, I think it was last year, they passed a trail camera ban. And this is not, I wouldn't say an inclusive ban, like all around, and I'll get to that in a second. But basically you cannot, there is a, a trail camera ban for the taking of wildlife. Like you cannot use a trail camera starting January 1st on Saturday, I think. You cannot use a trail camera in Arizona to like take pictures of deer and then try to go hunt it. Like can't can't do that anymore. Um let me see. So yeah. In June, the AGFC, which is Arizona Game and Fish, unanimously approved the new rule um after and a lot of like a lot of Arizona residents were 
totally in favor of the trail cam ban, which is, it was, I kind of thought there was going to be like a middle ground. Like they were going to have it to where there was like a summer season or maybe like a spring season where you could put some out, but nope, they all around like ban those suckers. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what they did there. It does say though, which is, this is interesting. It says anyone using trail cameras for research, general photography, cattle operations or security purposes can continue to do so. Um, so there you're going to start entering into some gray area with people that have cameras out says, um, any photograph or its data captured by trail camera after June 1, 2022 and used for the aid or the take or aiding in in wildlife will be unlawful. Even if it was not the initial intended use of the trail camera. So if you're out there and you have a camera on, I don't know what you would even have it on. I guess like a water tank or something, especially like a cell cam. If you're a rancher, you can like look and see what your tank levels are. Uh, and you get a deer on there and then you go in and shoot it. You can get trouble for that. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes down the, the pipe with that. Okay. Going federal. So CD, uh, CWD has gone federal. So the House of Reps just passed HR 5608. It is the Chronic Wasting Disease Research and Management Act. And it is a big sucker. This bill authorizes $70 million annually between the fiscal years of 2022 and 2028 to be divided equally between CWD research and management efforts. So of this is going to be split into $35 million will be dedicated for CWD research to develop testing methods, enhance detection efforts, better understand genetic resistance, among others, the remaining 35 will be used for the management of CWD by prioritizing funding for state and tribal wildlife agencies that have the highest incidence of CWD or demonstrating the most significant commitments to combating it and are facing the greatest risk of new CWD cases. So it's going to be split in two, but God dang, 70 mil. That's crazy. So, Hopefully, this was an article that Eastman's put out. I'm pretty sure Todd wrote it, yeah. And um, uh, he was basically saying, and I totally agree with him, like, if we can put some money towards this and just understand it more, like, it can't be a bad thing, just understanding more about it. Um, Because, like, if, I don't know, that CWD takes, like, a, takes a jump over to the cattle deal like the beef industry holy shit it's gonna be it could be interesting it could change change a lot of things now going over to something cool a new world record was shot and is over three miles so it says um the team global so the team global precision group um they put a bunch of stuff together and yeah, they made a shot at 6,012 yards or 3.4 miles away. It was a 32 by 48 inch target. 
the dude who shot was Paul Phillips. And let's see. Um, the gear, including a Garmin 701, Kestrel 5700, and applied ballistics, says Phillips dialed up 625 MOA from 100 yard zero. Said it was 10 degrees of barrel angle. <laughs> um, he was shooting a rifle chambered in 416 Barrett, launching 550 grain bullets is what he had. So it says, there's a video on it, but after 21 cold bore shots, um, they made the final adjustments and the bullet took a full 17 seconds to get to the target. So that's cool. That'll wrap up the, uh, the hot news. Now onto the hot minute. As we near the end of 2021 here, I just took five minutes before this episode started and jotted down a few things off the top of my head for gear items that I've used. Uh, looking through the list, most of them are very tried and true. Uh, not None of them are really new, actually, now that I take a, take a good look through it. There are a couple things that are new for this year, but for the most part, everything has been like a tried and true staple of mine. And uh, they're the ones that came off the top of my head the quickest. So, first thing, been using it for the last few years, a uh, few seasons now, I guess three seasons, is the my rifle. It's the Sig Cross. And uh, that thing is just, I get a ton of questions on it. It's just so, it's super versatile. You know, the way that they've got it set up where you can fold the stock. There are a lot of rifles out there, like the chassis type rifles that the full, uh, the stock can, stocks can fold. And that's just really nice for being able to to have a rifle that you can literally put inside your backpack if you need to, which I've done before. Like if we're road um, like road camping and using the side by side a lot, and it's super dusty. Like this spring, we did that for bears, and I put the rifle inside my entire pack so it wouldn't get super dusty. Um, so that's nice. Just having a rifle that will kind of sit inside the height of your pack so when you're going through brush and things like that you're not dealing with a barrel that's sticking six eight inches or more over the top of your pack trying to go through brush and getting caught on things it sits really nicely just it sits out of the way you just don't really once especially when you you strap it to your pack you don't even really realize that it's there or know that it's there which is which is really nice um the other thing about it, you know, for versatility wise is being able to change barrels so easily. So I can, you know, I can have one rifle if I wanted to, I could have the SIG cross and I could have, you know, eventually they'll get to this point, but you can have a, a multiple set of barrels that you can screw on. So currently I've got the 6.5 Creedmoor barrel that's on the rifle now. And I also have a 308 barrel that I can literally just screw the 6.5 Creedmoor barrel off and I can screw the 308 barrel on. So, and then the way that they've designed the bolt, the bolt head is really easy to remove and replace, so I can replace the bolt head to match the 308. And there you go. You just basically need a barrel nut wrench to to screw that barrel off and then of course you got to take the scope off. You got to take um the forehand off. You got to take all that stuff off, but you can change calibers, I mean, 20 minutes, probably, which that's just, I don't know, 
that's that's huge. Being able to have a you know you have a a lightweight rifle that can fold down, but then it's also you can make it pretty modular and put a lot of things on it to you know heavy it up a bit. Um, if you want to shoot competitions with it, or you just want a heavier rifle for like I don't know prairie dogs, coyotes, whatever, and then you can lighten it up quite a lot. So yeah, that's it's just been uh it's been a really good rifle for me. So looking forward to using it on uh future trips that I've got planned. Next thing, the First Light Foundry pants. I have been able I was able to wear these last year as, you know, they were kind of in their prototype stage, I guess. And uh First Light did a really kick-ass job designing these things. And one of the big changes they did with them is their sizing. So I get a a ton of, I guess I would almost call it feedback or I just see on the forums or Instagram, wherever about first light sizing issues. Um, you know, they, and like their regular corrugate guide pants and obsidian pants, they're just a, it's like a size range. So it's like a small, medium, large. It's not like 32, 34, 36 type of a deal. So a lot of people didn't like that. Some people loved it. They fit them really good. Um, so they've changed that with the Foundry series. They are like a 32, a 34, a 36 like waist. And then you have length options. I think it's either 32 or 33 for length. And then you've got 35s for like tall people. So I wear a 32, 35. And then... Um, I know there were a few people that were complaining about how they're, even the regulars are too long. Um, hem them or something. But uh, finally, the tall people get pants that fit them, which is nice, I think. So, but yeah, the foundry pants just in general for like a, they, what they basically did is they took like their obsidian pant, their corrugate guide pant, and their um, catalyst pant. And they just added foundry to the name. So what they did was, or added a foundry series of each, I should say. And then just added foundry to their name. So you've got the obsidian foundry pant, which basically what they did with that was reinforce like the seat, the crotch, and then the knees. Which I think that that pant should just completely take place of the other obsidian pant. I think that it would get get away from a lot of... A lot of um, issues where people were like ripping out the crotch in things because like they had their pants too tight or whatever, or the pants were too tight, um, so that they were like ripping out the crotch and whatever. So I think that pant should just completely replace the obsidian. But the corrugate guide pant has been tried and true. People love that thing. So what they did is they just made it a little beefier. So you have the corrugate foundry pant has reinforced seat and knees. You have hip vents now, so you have side zips. Um, these hip vents go in damn near to like the middle of your leg, like they go pretty close to your knee. And they don't have any mesh backing, but a lot of times mesh backing is getting ripped anyways. And um, yeah, I wasn't too sure about that at first, and I wasn't too sure about how long the zippers went, but. It's been really nice having the extra length and I really haven't had a big issue with, you know, things getting inside my pant. Um, and I think a lot of times I'll just run it halfway and that's more like a regular 
uh, side zip that you've seen from other companies. So it's uh, I really like that. And then there's knee pads. Those knee pads are the like most low pro- profile, comfortable knee pads that I've ever used. I think that you know a lot of people like complain about the knee pads and how they're hot and whatever. For knee pads, I'm just looking at comfort when I'm walking. Like, are they super uncomfortable? Um, you know, when I used the uh, the Sitka Timberline pan or any of those pants that have their knee pads in them, the way that they have it arranged is on the bottom, they have a pretty substantial, like, Velcro deal. So, to keep the knee pads from sliding out, if you have them in, um... And that like rubbed the hell out of the bottom of my knee, like on my leg forever. So these ones don't have any Velcro or anything like that. It basically is just a pocket that you slide the knee pads into so you can remove them. Um, Knee pads are just kind of hot sometimes. It's just the way it is. Like you can't complain about any company's knee pad being hot because they're just, it's a thick foam piece that's around your knee. Like of course it's going to be hot. So Keep that in mind, I guess, but you can remove them, and, um, and yeah, but they're pretty damn nice knee pads. I really like them. Um, so for, like, that Corgit Foundry pant for, like, all seasons, I think that's a great option for, like, a one-all pant, and then if you do hunt a lot into the later season when it's, like, snowy and colder and windy, I would recommend adding on the Catalyst Foundry pant, um... Uh, you can get away with most of it for sure with the corrugate, but if you do a lot of the late season stuff, adding that catalyst on, I think will be a really good thing for you. Basically, it's just a later season pant, has a really thin fleece liner, <clears throat> and um, instead of just the hip zips, the zippers actually go all the way down to the bottom of the pant leg, so you can unzip the pant leg, kind of like, you know, Carhartt bibs or something like that. You can unzip that so you can tie your boots and put your boots on because they're usually bulkier usually have a lot more clothes on so that makes it nice um and then yeah it's a two-way zipper so you can go from the top down for your hip vents just like usual and then same knee pads knee and seat uh knees and seat are reinforced and then that enforcement on the knees actually goes all the way down to the bottom of the pant so it basically makes the pant i would say highly highly water resistant going through the pant into your boots so it almost acts as a gaiter one issue you will have with not running gaiters for that late season is it'll gum up your zipper. It can gum up your zipper. Um, I've only had it happen a couple times, but it did happen. So it gums up your zipper so you can't use it, which isn't the end of the world. But you just thought out and then it works fine. But So those uh, have been big time staples, just like no brainer which pants you're, you're bringing. I use the Corgate Foundry pant from... Gosh, August this year through October. So, same pair too. Um, Okay, next, that's been really good. So, the Crispy Brixel boot. I review, uh, I re- did a review, like a written review on this boot back in 2018, I believe. And it's just like been a tried and true boot. I tried a couple of different boots this year. Um, one of them were, was the Salewa Raven that I took with me on my sheep hunt. And it just, those rocks and things were just not good on that boot at all. And I had my camera guy buy a set of Brickstools for that hunt. And he loved them. 
and I really wish I would have brought mine on that trip instead of the synthetics that I did. There's a lot of synthetic boots I really like, but that that one just I you just there's like a little bit of uh when you're looking at boots, especially if you're going to be in a ton of rocks and things like that sheep situation. If there's any like kind of a textured material on the side of your boot, like that's just going to catch the rocks are going to catch on it. And just over time, over a few days, it's just going to start tearing it apart. And that's exactly what happened to mine. They didn't completely go through the sides, but um, yeah, I think the integrity was getting pretty low on how many days I had left in those things. But the Crispy Brixel boot, so I wore that thing um, pretty much the last half of the season this year. And they're still the ones that I reviewed back in 2018. And I don't know, I just got along with them really well. I'll definitely be buying another pair for too much longer. Um, the Kefaru Striker XL pack. So this one goes probably right hand in hand with that 22 mag. I get a ton of questions on which one to choose. It's really difficult. I used both of them this year. They both have their, their, uh, strengths and I would say maybe weaknesses, but the Striker XL is, uh, running pretty low on the weaknesses side of things. This would be a pack for like day hunting. Well, the Striker XL you can throw what they call a camp bag into it as well. So you have can have all your camp in it. You can backpack in, chuck your camp in your camp bag, and then you'll have a little day pack basically. But this pack to me is very much a... I think it's as versatile as it gets as far as having one pack that you can for like public land, Midwest, Eastern hunters, where they're, you're packing stands in every day, you're packing blinds in every day, you might be going a ways. The load shelf system that they have on that is super easy to use. You don't have to take the bag off the frame. It's really simple. can hold a lot of stuff. I had like a giant baronet blind, which is like instead of a five hub, like a normal, I think it's like a six hub. It has five sides instead of four sides. And then I had two chairs and I had a turkey on it. So I used, I mean, you could put a ton of stuff in them. Um, and then, so like tree stands, blinds, anything like that for what you're doing, you know, back east in the Midwest, whatever, or just different styles of hunting. And then you can come out west and you can do like a road camp hunt with it. Um, my buddy Travis Hobbs absolutely loves his. And what he does is he runs his tripod along the side. And then he, on the other side, he runs a spotting scope and he has his spotting scope inside one of those marsupial spotting scope pouches. He runs that on the side. So they're super easy to get to. He doesn't have to completely tear apart his part, uh, tear apart his pack to pull his spotting scope out and whatever. He can just keep that in the side pockets. He can stuff like extra clothes and stuff like that inside the bag. And then he still has the space in between the bag and the frame to throw some extra stuff or pack out whatever he needs to on these backcountry hunts. So I really like that pack. Um, I used that a little bit and then I used the 22 mag when we went to Colorado and you're a little bit like the bag is the bag size is bigger on the 22 mag than on, than the bag on the striker XL, but, and you can still use the load shelf on the 22 but it's just not as easy to get to the load shelf. Um, so I, if you're like only doing Western style, like 
backcountry, you're just doing day hunts, like, and you just need the load shelf to pack meat out in, then I kind of lean towards the 22 mag in that, that occasion. But if you want to, if you want to pack that, you can haul like tree stands, some awkward loads, tree stands, blinds, you're doing things like that. And then you want to go out West, do day hunts, maybe throw a camp bag in it and pack your camp in. Striker XL is going to be pretty damn hard to beat for a one-all on that. All right, another product, the SIG Sour Kilo 2400 rangefinder. That thing is just very kick-ass, and um, there's not a lot of times I've had where it just it will not fire range back at me. I really like their ballistics program, and that thing's just been tried and true, so thought I'd throw it in there. Another thing, um, Hilleberg Tents, I'm a big Hilleberg tent fan for like your standalone tents. I just think the some of the hunts that I've been on that I've actually like made the investment in the Hillebergs are for some of these like big sheep hunts and things like that and I just fell in love with them and I don't know. They're they're damn expensive, but if you do it a lot and you need something that you know is not gonna fail you, um the Hilleberg is a dang good way to go. So the NIAC is a two-person. It's basically, they say it's a two-person. You can fit two regular-sized pads in it, uh, regular-sized pads in it side-by-side, side, and it's definitely, like, doable for two people if you like each other. Um, the problem with that is running two people in it all the time is there's only a door off of one side, and then there's only one vestibule, and the vestibule is not huge. Like, it's enough to, like, pull my pack in, pull my boots in, for just me, but you know, two packs is going to be real tight in that thing. So, but for a one person, it's really kick ass. I took it with me to the Brooks range this year. I've taken it with me on all kinds of high country mule deer and some sheep hunts as well. And it's been great. So for one person, it's really, it's kick ass. It's like right around the three pound mark. And, uh, yeah, it's just been, I've had it for probably six years, going on seven seasons now, and uh, it's been, it's been great. It's about three pounds. One thing about it, it is technically a three season tent, but what they did with this is, I think somewhere they called it a three and a half season, and so they kept like the inner tent, the inner body of the tent, more like a three season, um, more ventilation to get more airflow for the earlier season, but with the outer tent in the vestibule, they pitched it to the ground. So it's a perfect hunt for me for like early season archery, mule deer, or something where you're really high elevation. You should have pretty good weather. It should be pretty warm during the day. You want to have pretty good ventilation, but there's also the chance of the occasional snowstorm to, to roll through and drop a couple inches and getting to pitch that vestibule to the ground. It'll keep like snow and all that stuff from coming into your tent. So to play off of that, since uh, Leah and I are going to be hunting together a lot and then we bring our dog with us a lot, I wanted to get a little bit bigger version. So I just bought an Anyon or the Anyon. So it's, I bought the Anyon GT. It's the two person GT, two people with regular size pads fit in it side by side um, pretty well. If you're like hunting with a buddy or somebody you don't want to be super close to, I would probably get like the three ver the three person version of that, so you can have a little bit of space in between you. But the two uh, the two person version for couples 
or whatever is pretty good. I got the GT version, which is basically the big vestibule. I really wanted that so we could put both of our, we could, I knew that we'd have room to put both of our, um, both of our gear and all that stuff inside the vestibule. And then so the dog could stay in there too. And, uh, it's been great. We can sit on our sleeping pads inside the tent with our feet, um, in the vestibule and do cooking and things like that. So then like you don't, uh, you can stay out of the elements. So that's been a good tent. This next one, the Petzl Actic Core Headlamp. That was brand new for this year. I bought that thing in August. I think I remember where I got it from. But I had dabbled into the rechargeable headlamps quite a while back. And I bought the Black Diamond version of it. That was like their new version. It did not keep a charge very well. It did not hold a charge very well either. So you would like charge it. And it was supposed to be charged. And then like in a few days you'd go to use it. And it just like didn't hold the charge. Um, the I couldn't get it to... Like it didn't last very long either. The battery didn't last very long. And then it just quit charging altogether after a few months. So that was our first version of it. I'm sure that the versions of it now are a lot better. Um, but I just... In my research I found the Petzl Actic Core. And the Actic Core... What they do is it is a rechargeable headlamp. The cool thing about it is the battery itself is what gets recharged. So there's actually a mini USB plug in the battery, like on the backside of the battery. So you can take the battery out and plug it in. So if you had a couple of those, you could alternate them. If you're, you know, doing like a lot of like late season night or well, there's just a hell of a lot of, of uh, nighttime and that time of year a lot of people are doing day hunts instead of backpacking in or doing something like that so if you're using your headlamp a lot is what I'm trying to say if you have two headlamps or two batteries you can leave one in the tent that's charging that you used the night before pop a new one in and you know you have a new battery for the day the other thing I really like about this system is when you pop that battery out the rechargeable battery you can actually put regular batteries in it which is like a double backup which Big, big fan of. And the thing is freaking bright. It's by far the brightest headlamp I've ever used in my life on the on the brightest setting. The uh, the buttons are easy to use. The lock is easy to use. And um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a, a good, really good headlamp. I've used Black Diamonds in the past and they're good headlamps too. I don't like the way that their button configuration works. You can like touch the side of them and make them brighter. It just confuses the hell out of me. So the... The Actic Core is pretty simple, and it's just a really good headlamp. Another thing I've used for the last couple of years, the, the First Light, the Brooks Down Mittens, probably because we just got off of the, these late season hunts. I'm thinking about that. Um, these mittens are down mittens, and they're not made to like go tromping around and busting through brush and wearing all the time, but they're super, super lightweight. They weigh basically nothing. And when you get to your glassing spot, wherever you're going, um, you can just slide them on over the top of your gloves. That's what I do. I just have like a mid-weight pair of gloves. Slide them on over the top of those and they'll definitely, definitely help your, your hand temperature out, which is nice. Next thing that's been tried and true, the outdoorsman's pan head with the window mount option. And, uh, 
I'll try to explain this as easy as I can. I know that I've talked about it a bit in the past, but typically what you run into with window mounts, window mounts are awesome. Like if you haven't used a window mount, you should try one. But the problem with them is usually when you buy them, you have the window mount portion and then it has its own head. So what that makes you do is have to take the tri the plate adapter off of your try or off of your spotting scope to screw the one in for the the uh, the head on the window. And so then they're different from what's on your tripod to what's on your window mount. You have to switch them around all the time and you lose them and it's a giant pain in the ass. So Outdoorsman's has a window mount option. There's a super simple the portion that goes on the window is actually the only thing that you get with it. You don't have the pan head. And that's because you use whatever head that you have from Outdoorsman's to put on the window mount. So the window mount screws to the window. It has the female side of a dovetail on it. And that's basically all it is. And it like fits in the palm of my hand. It's not anything big and obnoxious. It's just really little. I throw it in the door in my cup holder when I'm not using it then I can get my pan head from Outdoorsman's or the micro pan head or the pistol grip with the uh, the right adapter on it, which is the male side of the dovetail. And then I can just slide it right in the window and there I have my system. And the best thing about that is I'm using the same head for my window mount, my tripod. So that means all of my binocular adapters are going to work on the window mount. All of my tripod or... um all of my spotting scopes that have the outdoorsman's plate on them are going to work on the window mount option. So, and then what you do is you can use this on any tripod. It does not have to be an outdoorsman's tripod. It can be anything. They have a little adapter that is basically just the female side of the dovetail that screws onto the top of your spotting or of your tripod and stays there. So basically what I do is I have that system. I have my tripod inside my backpack, like ready to go if we need to get out of the vehicle. And then I have my pan head on my window mount, probably still on my spotting scope. It's either sitting on the dash or in the back seat. We stop, we look at something, decide we want to make a move or whatever. I can just take the window mount off, just like with the simple quarter turn on on a knob, I can slide that dovetail off, leave the window mount in my vehicle. I can slide the pan head onto the tripod with that dovetail system, tighten it down and like, boom, we're going onto the next one or we're going on the stock or whatever. So that, uh, that window mount system, I could not imagine not having it now. Honestly, it's kick ass. And the last thing I've had for the last three years or so, the MSR reactor, I used it a ton this year. It's just, it's always been really good. I had been having, I have a, a little jet boil flash. I've been having a ton of issues with, um, but the MSR reactor is the oldest out of all of them and it's still firing on all cylinders. So it's a little bit expensive, but if you want probably the best backpacking stove built for like from early to late season, that MSR reactor is kick ass. So there you go. So yeah, I've been trying some other new things this year that are going to be coming out before too much longer. I think that 
people are, are really going to like. I've really been enjoying um, some of the pieces I've been able to try out. So I'll keep you updated as those on those as they come out. Um, all right. Onyx. Onyx tip of the week. So we've got, I think, one of the big things is being able to, especially like this early in the planning of looking at areas, you can like highlight an area. So you can draw a shape and highlight an entire area. So if you're looking at like really big picture, maybe multiple units, you can, instead of just dropping a pin in them, you can actually just highlight what you like. Maybe look at it from, you know, from a long ways back and, and um, then narrow down on some of those options. So use code ROCKCAST at checkout for 20% off if you're interested in Onyx Maps. And Black Rifle. I'm drinking the Silencer Smooth currently. And it's just really good light roast if you like a, a really smooth light roast. You can just go check out BlackRifleCoffee.com for the best damn coffee around. And... All right, workout of the week. It's about time to start prepping for next season and try not to gain a bunch of winter weight. So going to be doing Mountain Tough. Going to be starting the Mountain Tough series here again. I've talked about it a bunch. I've been using that platform since they came out, oh gosh, four years ago? Maybe more than that now. But they have a super cool thing that's going to help everybody out this year. They now have an app. So... They have an app that you can get through the App Store. And they also, with this, have released a subscription off, um, subscription option. So instead of buying the whole series um, right up front and, you know, that large chunk of money going out the door to get, your, to get your, your workouts all lined up, you can actually do a subscription option. They have a ton of different programs that you can choose from now. Um, and, yeah, you can use the promo code LAUNCH at checkout for 15% off. So go download the Mountain Tough app and yeah, start working out. I'll start posting workouts of the week as I get into it a little bit more. But that pretty much wraps us up. Upcoming episodes, I'm talking to Eastman's, I think tomorrow. We're going to talk about, you know, prepping for tag applications, some things to consider, all that. And then we'll get the meat processing part two out here in the next little bit as well got a podcast with Robbie announcing something super fun coming up. Um, I've got another mule deer guy on the podcast soon that has written a book. We're going to talk about that. So yeah, we have some, hopefully some good content coming towards you just in the next, you know, as we roll into the new year.